This is Friends and Benefits, a podcast hosted by Reward Strategy, and you may have guessed it, they're Friends and Benefits. Stay tuned to find out what's hot, what's not, and what's happening in the world of pay and reward. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining myself, Jade Burke, Deputy Editor of Reward Strategy, for this next instalment of the Friends and Benefits podcast. Joining me today, we have Rachel Knight, Payroll Manager at the Royal Opera House. The British Opera Company is well-versed in showcasing a wide range of performances, such as Swan Lake and Rigoletto. But how does the payroll team function here? Well, we're going to find out in this episode. So I just want to say welcome, Rachel, and thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Hi, Jade. I'm doing very well, thank you. And how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Really pleased that you're joining us and that we can take this deep dive into payroll and the industry and, and what's going on at the moment. Yeah, great. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. So I wanted to kick off with asking you how you came to work in the payroll space, because a lot of people kind of say they fall into it or they just kind of ended up here. Has that been the same for you or has this been a, a career you really wanted to explore? Yeah, so mine is the standard kind of fell into the career. I mean, my background was always I grew up in the performing arts industry. So doing dancing, singing, yeah, just fell into payroll really and then decided that I really loved it and wanted to make a career out of it. So I've never looked back since then. Brilliant. And um, I know you recently joined the Royal Opera House. Um, So what drew you to this role industry? I know you just said that you've kind of had a background in performing arts. You know, is this something that's carried through and and sort of made you join this business? Absolutely. I mean, for me, it's kind of like the dream role within payroll to work for an organisation that support the arts. But also it was just the way that they boast of their plan to improve on diversity and equality. That's something that's really important to me. And I mean, in this in this day and age, in the time that we live in, we see lots of companies and they will have, you know, the the paragraph on the website saying that they they operate in a way to bring in diverse talent. But for me, what stood out for the Opera House is that they had an actual plan of where they see themselves now and where do they want to be in the next 18 months and I think actions speak louder than words and that for me was just it kind of made me feel I want to be a part of that I want to work with people who are really taking taking a stand and they are making a point of doing something different and and going towards it rather than just making a statement and and not following through with that you know right now I completely understand what you're saying so that's something that really, I guess, resonated with you then in terms of the diversity inclusion agenda. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something I'm really passionate about. So I would I would want nothing more to to follow a company in terms of working with them that support those those kind of uh, things that are important in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And is there anything then that you can touch on there that I guess that the Royal Opera House are really pushing in terms of diversity and inclusion? I think in terms of performance, so yesterday I was lucky enough to go and watch Swan Lake performance of ballet, which was absolutely amazing. And it was just really nice to see, you know, the the amount of diversity on that stage. For myself, growing up in, you know, quite a dominant white background when I was growing up, for me, it's kind of those things I didn't really see growing up. So now it's really nice to see that there's just that inclusivity of all different cultures and everyone's getting a chance to to live the dream and and do things that that they love and there's there's kind of no seclusion there so yeah no that sounds great 
it's nice to hear obviously because it's something that I think like diversity and inclusion is something that many businesses are kind of pushing at the moment isn't it and I think perhaps the pandemic's really shone a light on that because it's shown where divides are and, and where things need to be improved on so it's great to hear that, that that's something you guys are working on. Yeah absolutely. And then moving back to your role at Royal Opera House what does that really entail you know what's your day-to-day like? So I was brought in as a payroll manager and I look I look after the monthly payroll. So we've got weekly payrolls and the monthly and a pensioners payroll. So I basically take control of the monthly and pensioners and obviously oversee the team, just make sure everything's running okay there. But we are also about to entail on a journey to implement a new system as well, which is something that obviously my background at my last role included implementation it's something that I really enjoyed so yeah I'm I'm just looking forward to getting involved in that and just improving the systems there and taking on a new project to make those payroll processes more efficient and more supportive in terms of those specifics for the opera house. Okay so it's all about sort of putting your own stamp on it I guess which sounds exciting. Yeah so kind of doing that but I think the good thing here So I didn't really have this in my last role in terms of implementation. The the system had already been chosen. Sometimes I think that there can be a lot of grey area there because if you're not involving the industry, the team that are going to be using the system, it's not necessarily going to be the best fit for the company. So I think in terms of this time round, HR are getting involved, payroll, so that we can really see and make a a decision in terms of a system that is going to benefit payroll and HR and make it integrate smoothly. So I'm really, really excited about this project. Oh, fantastic. That sounds great. And um, I know you've worked in a variety of sectors prior to this one. So I wanted to kind of ask you what presented the biggest challenge for you that you've had to overcome? I would definitely say my role at James Allen Girls School was the biggest challenge by far that I faced in payroll for a number of reasons. So when I came in, it was kind of a legacy payroll. You know, the, the person, uh, my predecessor had been there for 30 odd years. There weren't any processes or anything like that. So it was kind of a chance and an opportunity to come in and rebuild that payroll from scratch, as well as taking on an implementation project. I didn't have experience there, so I had to learn project management. I shortly became the project manager so again that's kind of like you know just literally being thrown in at all ends of the deep ends and I think I just learned a lot about organization management and just working as a team and and also relying on myself in a sole role I quickly learned that there's nothing that you're incapable of doing as long as you put your mind to it and I was just really don't know what the word is really I just felt really proud that I had accomplished completing this project as I say in a sole role so I did the the project completely on my own within 11 months and also whilst we had just gone into lockdown and I was working from home studying doing my degree and homeschooling two children you know all of it was kind it was it was everything happening at once so that for me was definitely my biggest challenge but one that I can be really proud of and um and what was achieved there so I would just I think for me, I would just like to 
emphasise the fact to the younger people that are coming into payroll now that nothing is out of your reach and you can absolutely do anything you put your mind to there. Yeah, I think that's so true. And it's like you said there for like the younger generation coming into this, there seems to be a bit of a difficulty, I think, um, in getting those younger generation into this industry. So it's important. It's like interesting that you've just touched on that. And it shows that, like you say, nothing is out of their reach and, and everyone should embrace this career if they're interested in it sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, as you say, sometimes it's harder for the younger generation coming into this industry. And I think if you don't necessarily have the right support unit there, it can fall down for you. But sometimes you can just be your own support unit. And I really felt that for myself that I had to rely on myself a lot of the time. And yeah, it was a challenge. But, you know, as we went into lockdown as well, LinkedIn quickly became a massive support network for myself. And I just found that I there was never anything that I couldn't reach out and, and get the help there from from the wider payroll um, environment there. So that's been really good for me as well. Yeah, no, that's amazing to hear. I think it's, it's it's a fantastic industry in that sense where everyone kind of supports each other and, and builds each other up. So that's that's lovely to hear that that's the case for you as well. Yeah. Amazing. So moving on, I wanted to ask you, so we've got the health and social care levy, you know, just weeks away. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how payrollers can prepare for this. Do you, do you think there's going to be quite a lot of extra work involved or is it just a case of, of, of just another sort of function onto the end of the month sort of thing? I think really it comes down to systems again, because in, you know, some people are still using quite outdated payroll systems. And I think um, that's been my experience the last few roles I've been in is kind of moving away from those limitations of systems and moving into kind of more modern day systems. So once you've got a system that, you know, can adapt to all these new changes and the way that legislation is forever evolving, it, it will be absolutely fine. The only thing for me, I think that's important for payrollers is just clear communication to employees, because obviously they're not going to be as well versed as us in terms of these changes, these new costs, and just kind of supporting them through that, letting them know in advance that things are happening. And especially for any companies that have got pensioners payrolls, because you've got pensioners, a lot of them aren't going to have access to the internet, you know, things that are sent electronically and things like that. So it's just about communicating, but choosing the way and the source that you communicate to different audiences. I think that's going to be really important there as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's quite interesting that you say that in terms of communication and, and actually thinking about your different generations as well. That's so important to ensure that everyone is aware of what's going on and I guess being really transparent with them. Yes, absolutely. And actually that leads really nicely onto what I was going to ask you next, Rachel. It's regarding, you know, the, the cost of living crisis. And, um, you know, with this this levy being introduced, there's going to be more concerns about these extra costs, you know, rising bills. You've got the gas prices that are just shooting up, inflation continuing to rise. So with that in mind, do you think that managing this financial support should fall to the payroll team? I think in terms of financial support, not necessarily. I mean, in terms of these additional costs, one thing that I'm seeing a lot of employers coming out and saying is that when they are going to be looking at their annual increases for salary, it would be looking at around these cost of living changes. And I think that's really important. You know, these people, employees and, and members of staff that work for companies, essentially they're the backbone of the company. So it is really important to support them in a way that 
they feel appreciated and increase that staff morale, you know, they are more likely to go above and beyond for companies who are supporting them and making them feel like they've got that financial stability when when there are crisis in terms of cost of living. And I think that that is going to be the way that employers really reveal who they are. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense, definitely, because I guess it's how you how you support those workers, isn't it, during this time in particular? Yeah. That shows who you are as an employer, I guess, doesn't it? Exactly, and I think that that's really come through since the pandemic as well. You know, we've seen the employers, it speaks volumes about those that are there to support their employees. They really appreciate them and they're willing to support them financially because we can only do so much, you know, in terms of helping employees learn how to budget but if we're expecting employees to to travel commute and all of the rest of the things that we're expecting them to do to work and to build the company we need to be able to support them with their livelihood as well because essentially that is what people go to work for yeah of course and I guess on that I know you kind of mentioned there that perhaps it shouldn't just fall onto payroll teams So do you think then that more alignment between HR and payroll teams would be beneficial in that sense so that businesses can provide the right support for financial well-being? Absolutely. And I'm a firm believer of HR and payroll going hand in hand. So a lot of organisations, payroll will loosely fall under finance and then some it falls under HR. But I think that the vast majority of payroll teams work more closely with HR and they go hand in hand, you know, it's it's people's livelihoods of their salary and wages and, and HR will support more of kind of the well-being, the benefit side of things. And so in terms of boasting benefits, I just think that HR can really help support payroll in terms of working together just to get the best out of the two. And that working relationship is really important between the two for the employees to get the best out of that. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, you need that synergy, don't you, between the two and it's working harmony, I guess, to ensure that everyone is supported in that manner. Absolutely. And I think the more they work in harmony, the better it is for the employees because you've got a clean, concise process. Usually things don't fall down. You can communicate things that have gone well, that aren't going so well and work together rather than against each other because essentially the end result is the employee. So we need to be working together just to ensure that they do have the best support possible. Yeah, of course. Now that makes absolute sense. Just keeping on that sort of theme of, of well-being. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on a work perk that we, we kind of see and crop up quite a lot at the moment, which is unlimited annual leave. And I think it's something that seems to have been introduced more so to, I think, I guess, give employees a boost and to support them in terms of burnout or to help prevent burnout, should I say. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Do you think such a work perk can help with burnout or is it more of a hindrance in the fact that, I guess, employees may worry about how much time they're taking off? And therefore, they'd actually be less, more stressed. That's a really interesting question. And it's something that I've been considering a lot recently. So in terms of having, you know, that unlimited annual leave, I think for some companies, they would struggle. So like the Opera House, for example, we have performances going on here, there and everywhere all the time. So a lot of the departments within the organisation I don't think that would fully support the roles that they do. However, I do believe that increasing an employee's leave entitlement 
would definitely benefit staff and and you know increase staff morale and just support that no staff burnout because what you have is a lot of employers at the moment I see they offer it as a benefit but they're offering statutory leave but actually that's not a benefit at all you are just giving the employee the statutory entitlement and these employees you know as I mentioned they they essentially are building the company off of their backs and so I think that the people that are bringing you through success should be supported, should feel appreciated and should feel like they can have that work-life balance. That's really important. Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said there in terms of the statutory leave. Like you say, that's being promoted as a benefit, but in reality it's not, is it? Because it is, like you say, it's like a legal requirement now. Yeah. Really, really interesting. So before we explore whether more businesses should offer their own pension schemes, we're just going to take a very quick ad break. Hi there, it's Kitty Wood here reporting for Reward Strategy. I want to let you know that the Payroll and Reward Conference, held in partnership with the Payroll Centre, is coming around quickly, taking place on the 8th and 9th of June at the Chelsea Harbour Hotel. On the day, topics that will be discussed include international payroll, the gamification of rewards, how to manage a global workforce, and whether women are being left behind on financial rewards. Some fantastic speakers will also be appearing across the two days from brands such as Stella McCartney. Find the full agenda online. We hope to see you there, but for now, let's get back to listening to Friends and Benefits. And we're back after that quick break. Thank you so much for listening, guys. So we're just going to speak about now pension schemes, as I mentioned before the break, in terms of businesses offering their own. Now, Rachel, I know the Royal Opera House offers its own pension scheme. So I wanted to ask you whether more organisations should do the same to help encourage an interest in saving for retirement. I do think workplace pension schemes are very um, beneficial to employees, especially in terms of offering salary sacrifice, because it just helps the employee understand that the employer is also investing in their savings for retirement. A lot of things that I've also experienced over my short years in payroll are just employees paying the bare minimum into the pension scheme. So it's kind of your standard three, four percent and employees are paying so much more into it. So, you know, again, it doesn't wreak benefit to me. It doesn't say, okay, this is the benefit of you investing into your pension. We're also going to top that up, match it for you. I think, again, that is something that could be improved across the wider range of benefits. And just, it it kind of just, what's the word I'm looking for? It attracts the role. So if I'm looking at a role, a lot of the time, I will look at the benefits because, You need to feel like if you're going to invest into something, you're going to put yourself and everything into a company that you're going to get something in return. And I think that's really important for people, especially among the pandemic, everything that's happening now. People just want to have that support and, and, you know, those benefits from their employers that they haven't really had in all those years prior to the way things are now. Definitely. I think that's really true in terms of, what employees want at the moment like you say I think most of the time people do scroll down to the benefits if they're looking at a new job role because they want to know if it offers everything that they need and meets their values and and and, and what they want from an employer I guess. Yeah absolutely I think it's always a bit of give and take and you know I think more more employees would be more they would just evidently put more into a role where they feel supported and they feel benefited from that role as well. Absolutely. 
And then just keeping on this theme of pensions and savings, there seems to be quite a lot of, it seems to be difficult, I, I think, for employees or for employers to encourage employees to get into the method of saving and, and, and creating that buzz around it. So I would ask you what methods employers and payroll teams could consider to to create more of an interest around savings. In terms of savings, I think I've seen a few things, so kind of like funds and investment schemes now, where it's kind of like it can be a financial support. So support to employees as a kind of savings hardship kind of benefit. So in a in a sense, if an employee is struggling, they've got financial hardship, they've got that benefit there to be able to take out short-term loans, but they can also save with it as well. So I believe TransSave is a good one. They offer short-term loans, but they offer a benefit where employees can also save as well as taking out those short-term loans there. Over the years that I've been in payroll, it's always been quite high-frequency requests for advance payments. So when people are struggling to come up with the deposits to move out, for example, private renting, things like that, those those kinds of saving funds there, I think that would just benefit an employee who may not, you know, have those extra funds to do those kind of things and they do live paycheck to paycheck. I think we really need to look at those who are on a lower wage who are in line with the national living wage and see how we can support them further rather than just to increase their hourly rates, bringing them in line with the living wage. What can we do that we can further support them a little bit more? I think that's really what we need to be looking at now. Yeah, that makes sense, definitely. In terms, I think what you said there, like touching on the lower earners, you know, what more support can be given to them? It's so important. Yeah. And I know we've just touched on uh, benefits in that previous question we were talking about there. But I know that Royal Opera House hosts, uh, sorry, boasts <laughs> a wealth of benefits that employees can take advantage of. So I think they offer like flexible working policies, um, family friendly options as well. So I want to ask you if there are any that particularly resonate with you and that actually, I guess, drew you to this role. So for me, is basically a given. I mean, I'm a mum. I've got two young children and before the pandemic hit, there was no such thing for me as flexible working. You know, it was in the office full time. My children were in childcare full time, not being able to kind of get them home until late in the evening. It's been really good to go into an industry where that is fully supported. So that flexible working, I don't need to be in the office five days a week. I can have that time to have a family life as well as a working life. And I think for most families, that's going to be really important now and just getting that time to actually raise your children. And as a working mother, I think that's really important for me is knowing that I can do both and not feel like I have to choose and I have to put the job before the family. So yeah, that was one benefit that really did stand up for me. And I think that that seems to be the way that the industry is moving now, not just for payrollers, but just worldwide, I think that's going to be something we're going to see now um, as a permanent change is more hybrid, flexible working, which I think we can take that as a benefit. Yeah, it definitely seems to be going that way. Certainly, like in terms of the stats and, and research that, that we receive at Reward Strategy, it seems that employees want that hybrid or they want to continue working from home. So I think it's definitely here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then something that's been cropping up, I guess, over the last few weeks is sick pay. And that is remaining, seems to be a point of contention, I'd say, with trade bodies um, with the TUC, for example, they've they've called on the government to ensure sick pay is available to all. So I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on this as a payroll professional. You know, should sick pay be available to all? Absolutely. I think 100% payroll professional or not, I feel that sick pay should definitely be available to all. And the reason I say that, so I'll go back to what I mentioned about annual leave and statutory leave being shown as a benefit when actually it's just a legal requirement for for employees. I feel that employees, they're working hard, they're supporting the business, they need to be supported. They don't want to feel like they need to go off work and struggle financially, struggle by being off work and it's kind of looked as a negative thing and I feel like sickness Ever since I've been in payroll, it's always looked like a very negative thing. You get lots of long-term illnesses and things like that. And it's kind of the conversations are, when are they coming back? They've been getting full pay for X, Y, Z amount of months. And I think really what we should be looking at is how do we support the employees more long-term? So I worked for a company previously, a project management company, Mott McDonald, And they would support ill health benefits for more long-term sickness. And that's something that I really, really thought was such a good thing to see is that, you know, they are investing in looking after their employees more long-term rather than treating it as a negative thing. So I think that sick pay should be available to all workers, regardless of the status of working. They are still working. They're still doing something. They are still bringing something to the working community and investing their time and their skill set into your business. And so why shouldn't they be supported when they aren't well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's quite important at the moment as well, because we've got things like long COVID, which are really impacting employees. So making, I guess, that available to everyone is even more important at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So I just want to switch gears slightly and just speak about fair and equal pay. So something that we're seeing a lot at the moment is salary benchmarking. So do you think that is the way forward now to ensuring employees are paid fairly and equally? In a sense, I do, but in another sense, not. Because I feel like salary benchmarking, it can be very grey. So in terms of you've got experience and then you've got qualifications, this seems to be where the divide is happening now. And, And I've experienced in my payroll career alone that there's a very thin line between qualifications and experience. And it seems that so many more companies are still driven by qualifications. And if I'm going to be honest, a lot of the time, I feel like it doesn't mean anything because you can be qualified to do something, but if you're not experienced in the role, it doesn't mean anything. And so people are not being offered, people are coming straight out of university, for example, and they're not being offered a role. Why? Because they don't have any experience yet you could get a payroller who's experienced for 10 years, they're not being offered a role because they don't have the qualifications. So benchmarking, I'm not so sure because I feel like at the moment it's just a survey saying this is what we would expect somebody sitting within that role to be paid, but it doesn't really expand on the fact, is this based on whether or not the individual is an experienced payroller or a qualified payroller? And I think that's where that salary benchmarking can fall down. So, yeah, I think there's still a little bit of work to do in terms of getting employees paid equally and fairly. 
Yeah, absolutely. And with that in mind, then, what other methods do you think employers could consider to ensure that they are paying their staff equally and fairly? So this is really interesting. So I was reading, I found an article written by the CIPD that I came across um, in one of my recent assignments I was doing for, for my studies. And it was actually talking about, you know, we've been waiting since 2018 now. We've got the gender pay gap reporting what about reporting in terms of equal pay in a diverse you know so kind of just looking at the ethnicity reporting and we've been waiting since 2018 for that now but I feel like it's kind of not moving forward and my question is why because we know that we need to address that area and that for me is where fairness and equality in terms of pay falls down massively I've seen, you know, the hierarchy in so many companies that I've worked for and you see the same faces, same pay grades, bringing in more diverse staff now. Are they going to be sitting on those pay grades? And I mean, I know these kind of topics and conversations can sometimes be uncomfortable. But for me, being a payroller, I recognise that. I recognise that there is still so much inequality in terms of the pay on a on a more diverse range Um, and I think that's what we need to be looking at moving forward why do we not why are we not doing this uh, ethnicity reporting as such yet and why is it taking such a long time to roll out that's really interesting to me to understand why it's taking so long to roll it out and make it a legal requirement yeah definitely I think it's definitely growing traction for sure and what we've seen and there are a few businesses that have actually started to do it off their own back I think ASOS recently done it like what late last yes, year I saw that yeah so it's great to see that these businesses are kind of taking it in their own hands and doing it themselves but like you say when is it going to be that legal requirement like the gender pay gap reporting yeah we will definitely time will definitely tell us and, and we'll see hopefully in this next year perhaps that something may may move forward I think people need to feel aspired to apply for roles for me for example I've never had I've never had a problem with being a go-getter and I will look at something and I will never question whether or not I'm qualified or experienced to do it right now I just go for it and I think what have I got to lose my husband on the other on the other subject he hasn't always been he hasn't always been confident enough to do that and I think you know being a black man in London a lot of jobs he will go for it's kind of like he will look at it and think I don't stand a chance I'm not going to get paid the same as that person for doing that job if I apply for that job even though I know I'm qualified to do it I know that I can take on that role am I going to be paid equally to another person that maybe go for the role or am I even going to be considered so I think for me that's really spoke volumes because I've seen it the two different scenarios in terms of myself applying for jobs and my husband has been very different and the experience that we've both had has been very different so that's kind of why I'm really passionate about that side of equality in terms of job roles out there today. Absolutely I guess like you say you've seen it and witnessed it firsthand so that's why you have that passion there so thank you for sharing obviously with us in terms of your husband's experience in that sense it's it's really interesting to hear like that account and, and how it is impacting you know ethnicities and, and in terms of ensuring people are paid fairly and equally it's so crucial absolutely 100 percent. 
Fantastic. So we're just coming towards the end of the podcast, uh, Rachel, but something that we like to ask everyone who comes on is what you'd be doing if you weren't in the profession you're in. So with you, the payroll profession. (laughs) I think a few years ago, I would have wanted to be involved with doing the arts, definitely. As I say, that's something that I grew up having a massive passion for. So I sing and I dance and and these things are still very much passions of mine. But I feel like the way the world's going today, I think I'd probably be doing something more full time in terms of advocacy. So I would want to become an advocate for mental health or Black Lives Matter, something like that, because those are things that I'm really passionate about at the moment you know lots of people will see my posts on LinkedIn I'm always boasting about mental health and where it is today where it needs to go how we need how we can support the wider community and I think that my life experiences have just made me want to help people more and I think that if I wasn't in payroll and I could really do something more that would be what I would be wanting to do I would be wanting to help the community and 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 just serve the people really and give back to people that have supported me over the years and got me to where I am today yeah well that sounds absolutely fantastic and I mean you never know you may be able to get to explore that in the future oh, I hope so and maybe I can do both who knows <laughs> absolutely like you say you can't let anything hold you back so you've got to try <laughs> yeah that's it Fantastic. Well, that's about all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining me on this latest episode, Rachel. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm really grateful to be invited. Thank you. No, you're absolutely really, really welcome. So remember, everyone, we'll be back with another Friends in Benefits very soon. In the meantime, you can listen to some of the past episodes featuring the likes of ITV, Oaxaca and Avon. But finally, thank you all for listening once again.